Did you buy an iMac Pro? Uh, why do you ask, Mike? I just want to know. I did buy an iMac Pro. Are you using it right now? No, I'm not. Oh. I'm not using it right now. Do you have it? I do have it. Okay. It's a complicated story, Mike. Have you ever used it? <laughs> I can't understand where you would put it, because I assume you're at home right now. I mean, you never know where I am when I'm recording, Mike. I never really know where you are. That is true. I, I am often surprised wherever you are. <laughs> we have a topic that will lead into this uh, in some sense. But no, I do have an iMac Pro. Mm-hmm. I have used the iMac Pro. I am in London recording with you, but I am not currently using that iMac Pro. So it is it is elsewhere at this moment. Do you like the but iMac Pro? But it's pretty Pro? great. Oh, okay, you really like <laughs> it's it. It's pretty great. Okay. It is nice to have a computer that's super fast. And it's also nice to... Um, because when we were in that Valley of Darkness with Apple for a while, I had this feeling of... Like, oh, Apple, let me just throw some money at you so I can get a faster computer. Like, just You name a number and I'll write you a check, Apple. I just need a faster computer. And it is nice that, that, that now with the iMac Pro, in a way, Apple has called the bluff on, like, just write a check. Because it's like, Apple can ask for a check that I am not willing to write. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, it's really nice that there exists a computer where you have to make decisions about, like, what is it that you actually want out of this machine? Because it means that... The theoretical maximum computing threshold is beyond you. It's not where you currently are right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I really hated that feeling of, I have the fastest computer. There's no faster computer that I can possibly buy, and it's not fast enough. Uh, So, yeah, the iMac Pro is is very fast. Uh, There are some crazy configurations out there that make it super expensive. Uh, I did not go for the super crazy expensive iMac Pro configurations. But I got a good one, and it is very impressive. I really like it. And, of course, when you get a new computer, how do you test it out? Well, you got to load up a game and see how the game plays. And so, of course, as soon as the computer was set up, the very first thing that I put on it was American Truck Simulator, so I could get a real sense of how it was. And how did it run? Did it run good? It was beautiful, Mike. Oh, yeah. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. So I was just thinking <laughs> about, like, what do, you, what do you use it for, right? Like, what, what is your use for such a powerful machine? And I was going to mm. make a joke about, like, what are you, some kind of pro video producer? Having completely forgot that you make YouTube videos. <laughs> for a moment, was like, what do you need it for? You just edit podcasts. What do you, and you don't even do all the editing. Like, what do you need it for? <laughs> Seriously, I, I was going to make a joke about you being MKBHD or something, making YouTube videos. Turns out right. you do make YouTube videos, so I understand why you might want it because I, I know that like a lot of the stuff that you do in video, you can always throw more power at it, right? And I, I would assume that's why one of the reasons you bought the machine was because it can just make your video process a lot nicer because it turns out you do make those YouTube videos. Yeah, I do. I do make YouTube videos. Uh, there are a number of. It's easy. It's easy to forget. I mean, there are so many things that I do, Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. My professional biography is long, very long, and includes very many things, full of projects of secret and public nature. Yeah, many things. But uh, faster computer <laughs> is great, and with YouTube videos and with lots of other stuff, the the, the increased power makes a real difference. Um, even for things just like. 
if I'm making the the YouTube videos for podcasts that are being uploaded, like you're uploading a two and a half hour video, like exporting that kind of thing takes a long time. It takes a very long time. I, I yeah. am always surprised at one, how long it is, and two, how big the files are when it's just yeah. like a static image and two hours of audio. Um, it's like, oh, here's here is a nine gigabyte file. And it's like, uh, <laughs> Final Cut, what are you doing? But I guess yeah. that it is just is what it is, right? Yeah, it is. It is what it is. Um, but I've yeah, I've got to say it's it's really it's a really impressive machine, and uh, it does run American Truck Simulator pretty great on there. I put on the little Steam overlay to see how many frames per second I was getting, and it was very impressive. But on a on a more practical level, uh, I loaded up one of the. Um, one of the files I've made reference to a few times on the show, like these multi-terabyte Final Cut Pro uh, projects that I have. And the thing that I wanted to... So Final Cut has this feature where it does background rendering when you open up a project. And that is always a thing that takes absolutely forever. But Final Cut has been updated to take advantage of multi-core machines. And so I uploaded the biggest Final Cut project I could find on my computer and I just wanted to see how it handled it and it was just astounding to see these multiple cores just tear through the background rendering like it was nothing uh, and I was like whoa this is this is really impressive and uh, it is one of these cases where the machine makes you very aware of what programs take advantage of multiple cores and what programs do not take advantage of multiple cores because the things that have been written to take advantage of multiple cores it's just a, it's such an incredible increase in speed uh that it's it's really just fantastic so I, I love the machine it is great i'm glad that apple has made a like a real top end computer again so i'm 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 really pleased with it. And it comes in space gray. Mm. It looks great. <laughs> looks looks great. No, no more stupid aluminum. Well, it's still aluminum. Or aluminium. Yeah, yeah, but not, not the aluminum color. Gosh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Seems like you spend too much time podcasting uh, with Americans. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I presume that you are not going to get one of the no, iMac Pros? No, no, I don't need it. I don't, I don't need it, and I don't particularly want it. Um, it's more computer than I require uh, mm -hmm. for what I'm doing. It would make some things quicker, but honestly, I don't do a lot of that stuff very often, like um, noise removal, and they're like some of the most intensive tasks that you can do in audio editing is like right. doing something to improve the quality of the audio. But by and large, the majority of people that I record with are in stable environments that don't mm -hmm. really require a lot of work to be done to them. Um, so honestly, I'm good. And all of my wait time, my, my workflow is pretty optimized at this point so that if I'm waiting for something to export, I'm doing something else. Like I'm not twiddling my thumbs. Um, I've got, you know, I publish so many podcasts now that I have my routine and I'm never sitting and waiting for my iMac to do something. Um, yeah. so the iMac pro doesn't make sense to me. I am personally holding out to see whatever the Mac Pro looks like for mm. the purpose of buying a machine that will last me 10 years. If if the Mac Pro is as modular as I hope it's going to be, that, that you will truly be able to replace and upgrade parts over a long period of time. If that seems like that is a possibility, that may be the next machine that I buy. Um, I'm, I'm just less interested in 
exciting max now, right? Like, oh, yeah. Mike of like five years ago probably would have bought the iMac Pro because it's the newest and most exciting Mac. I don't mm-hmm. really have that feeling anymore. Um, it's, you know, obviously the iOS is where my excitement is. So mm-hmm. I, I am keen to own a machine that I can upgrade over a long period of time for a smaller amount of money than buying a new computer every three years to, to try mm-hmm. and keep up with the latest and greatest. So that that's kind of where my attention is a little bit more now is like seeing what the Mac Pro looks like. Um, but I have no, I have no desire or need to do anything about my Mac set up right now because I have an iMac 5K which I've had for like maybe like 18 months or something like that and mm-hmm. it feels as fast to me as the day I bought it like I have no problem with this machine This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace Enter offer code Cortex at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. You know Squarespace Squarespace is the company that lets you easily create a website for your next idea. With their award-winning templates and easy-to-use software, there is no faster or better way to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog or a website for really anything that you want to do. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you make the thoughts in your head a reality on the internet. And there's nothing to install, there are no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. And trust me, as someone who used to run his own website in the dark days before Squarespace, uh, doing those remote PHP upgrades on the server, not fun. Not ever. With Squarespace, you don't even have to know what that is. Who cares? That's Squarespace's problem, not your problem. You don't have to worry about anything because Squarespace has it covered. You just start making your website, and if you need any help at all, they have an award-winning 24-7 customer support team that will be right there for you. So if you have an idea in your head, Squarespace is the place to go. You can go grab your domain, pick one of their templates, customize it to be the way that you want it to be, and have your website up and running in no time flat. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can begin a free trial with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com so you can check them out without having to commit to anything. But of course, you're going to love them. So when you decide to sign up for their plan, just use offer code Cortex to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Thanks for Squarespace for supporting Cortex. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Okay, Mike. So, so you want to know where the iMac Pro is. And this this gets us this gets us straight to the heart of the first topic that I wanted to talk about, okay. which is uh I wanted to give a little bit of an update on the year of order and how that's going. You you need to put more. I feel like I need to add a sound effect every time you say it, like <laughs> no, no, it's a thunderclap or like you know, and like modulate the voice a little bit. No, don't, just leave it. Just leave okay. it all on, Mike. There's okay. no need for that. I think I think people can hear like the capital O in order. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that I think that comes across. They can hear that in their mind. There's no need for it. Of course, there's no need for it. Right, but <laughs> you know, it might be nice. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So I have an I have an idea with the show this year to check in a little bit more regularly about what's going on with the year of order, and 
that's partly because I, I was really aware last year that we didn't touch in very often on what was going with the year of redirection slash chaos. And that was partly because a lot of the things that were going on there, it didn't make sense to talk about on the podcast. It was chaos. I mean, how, how do you check in on chaos? Yeah, and that was the other thing. It was chaos. It would have been very hard at any particular point to have a meaningful conversation about what was going on during that. Because it's just like, it just was just less structured. But the year of order lends itself to that. Yeah, I, I think we spent more time talking about my year theme, right? Because yeah. there was stuff going on. Like hiring people. Yeah, it made more sense. Handing over tasks. Right? There were things that I could uh, kind of point to as a thing to make a difference in my year where yours was a little bit more ad hoc, I think, as yeah. it was going through. Yeah, without a doubt. And so I, so, so I like the idea of checking in more regularly. I also like the idea that to go along with the theme itself, knowing that we'll check in regularly on the podcast is a kind of structure. And structures belong in the year of order. Would you say a structure is kind of like a schedule? It's kind of like a schedule, but uh, schedules are a different sort of thing, Mike. I don't like schedules. You like structure. Structure, I like. Structure, routine, these are good things. Wait, routine? Schedules, (laughs) deadlines, no. No, Thumbs down. Routine, yes, yes. Entirely different, Mike. I like due dates, not (laughs) deadlines. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's subtle you know there's like it's like a subtle difference uh-huh. of flavor but uh-huh. it's there you know when, you, when you're really highly attuned yeah. to these sorts of things mm-hmm. so uh, so here's my idea for this this first check-in which is i have i have this real feeling like the year of order is going to be a a very big intensive long project because there's a lot of stuff that i want to do and i'm already sort of breaking it down and the first the first part of this that uh, I realize works out really well in in the beginning of the year for a bunch of things is the idea of setting up my physical space. That there's a lot when I think about like, how do I work? What are the environments in which I work? That over the last year, again, we're sort of thrown into chaos for a variety of reasons. And because of... Because of a b- bunch of my thoughts about like the ways people work or how people can work effectively, I, I really think that the environment in which you work is this real foundation upon which everything else rests. And so here I mean the physical environment that you are in. So I've decided that this is, uh, as the winter season draws to a close, this is my, my focus. Like before winter ends... I want to have redone the physical spaces in which I work. So this is this is like project one for the year of order. And it happens to work out well that this is the first thing that I want to do because while ultimately I want to be really back into a like a solid working routine, there's still some stuff in my life right now that's like left over from the previous year of redirection slash chaos that's going to be with me for a while. So it's like I can't start on the really heavy routine stuff just yet. So I'm going to be working on this foundational part as at the beginning. So which physical space are we talking? Which of your many offices are we talking about here? Or all of them? Okay, Mike, I have a diagram for you. I'm going to send oh. you a little diagram to take a look at. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, my. This is very messy. Yeah. Just to be clear. Uh, 
And I'm happy to put this in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> just yesterday, I was having a multiple flights in the same day day, which is always great. Uh, many more travel, racking up those airline miles, you know, to keep my golden ticket. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just as fun. But so while I was on the flight, I was trying to, th- I was trying to use that time well, because like airplane time is, is a strange time. And one of the things that I do find is useful to do with that time is thinking about stuff on a, like a higher level or just brainstorming or doing those sorts of things so what i did was i brought my ipad with me on the trip and uh, opened up good old good notes and what i decided to do was a a thing that i had mentioned i think uh, related to one of the ask cortex questions last time which was i started to draw out what are the different devices in my life and what do i want to use them for and then this this ended up becoming much more along the ideas of okay how am i going to set up the physical spaces in my life so there's there's two things in this in this very messy diagram but i have the idea of there are some devices so it's like i have my iphone i have the new imac pro right i have a laptop i have iPads, like I have machines, like what are what are each of these machines for? And then also trying to overlap that with the idea of I have different physical spaces in which I can be, which devices belong where, right? Which devices go where? So the the main thing here is I feel like there's three spaces. I have a home office, which is where I am right now in my apartment. I have the glass cube that we have discussed previously, which is in a a separate building from where I am now. And then I think of, it, it doesn't quite make sense maybe to people, but I do think of my phone as a kind of omnipresent space, that, that this is a device and a space that is just with me all of the time, wherever I am. So it has, it has like overlap with other areas. So this is this is the division, like thinking about how is my phone going to work and then thinking about what is going to happen in my home office, what is going to happen in the glass cube. And then also in the in and because I was on a plane thinking about uh, since my travel does not seem to be decreasing over the next year, thinking a little bit about like what does my mobile working space look like and trying to draw out what devices do what where how how does this diagram look to you mike i have a lot of questions about this diagram okay why don't you start with some questions because otherwise i will just talk forever in a in a vague way so let me know what is confusing to you about this diagram yeah i want to go down from the top so we have the phone morning and afternoon are they the same device just want to just double check or is that they two different devices (laughs) yes i have one phone one phone i'm using my iphone x okay um but I made I made a little division about the device is different in the morning and is different in the afternoon about what what should it do or or what should I be doing right. with the device at these times. But there isn't anything that you're doing to really restrict what the device does, right? Because you kind of can't do that. This is more of a mental thing. There's two parts here. It is a bit of a mental thing 
because uh, Apple's notification system is terrible mm-hmm. and is not very good compared to the competition. But there is a physical thing that is happening that I'm still using the system uh, we've discussed before where I have two different Apple Watches. And this is my way of... That's what the S2 and the S3 is. That's, that's my, that was my next question. Yeah. That's Apple Watch Series 2 and Apple Watch Series 3. Okay. Correct. That you, you can, with two watches, kind of fake or trick the iPhone into having different sorts of behaviors. Because you can turn on different notifications for different applications on each watch independently, right? Right. That, that's correct. So the idea is in the morning with my Series to watch the only kinds of notifications that we'll get through are notifications from myself to myself so these are things like i have started a timer and i want a notification about when that timer ends or if there's a calendar event that i put on the calendar previously that i will have forgotten about in that morning or things like alerts from task managers right those are the only sorts of things that should get through the device through my phone in the morning and the only way i can do it is to say that the phone is totally silent the phone does no notifications but the series 2 watch is configured to just allow notifications from those three classes of device okay and then i can see the afternoon is when you allow people to contact you you've got imessage and slack but yeah. still no email outgoing email only is yeah. uh, i get that i get that i understand i mean sure I, I couldn't work and would never work that way but i know that you have in the past so i understand i get that like i get what's going on here your business i think many people's businesses would totally fall apart uh without more frequent contact with email yeah um but but yeah with for me by far and away the two biggest things that disrupt my life but that i still do need to pay attention to are iMessage and slack and and those are the things where it's like man if i get a like a slack message in the morning it can really derail the day where i start thinking about a thing that doesn't really need to be thought about now um but so in the afternoon when i swap watches then the messages from iMessage and slack can get through mm-hmm. and it is just it is simply I did try for a little while to to not even have Slack on my phone, but it it's that crosses a line of like the convenience of having all of my business related messaging on the phone is just too great to remove it from the phone uh, because removing it from the phone then turns me into an incredible bottleneck where lots of things that just require my approval or like one one sentence of input like then this suddenly becomes a multi-day process about like when have i opened up slack on my computer so i i have it as this case of like in the afternoons that's when i'm going to get notifications uh from my message and from slack and i'm managing that by swapping out the watches slack is too important like you make it that Right, like I know I have, I know you have, we spoke about it in the past, right? You end up eventually, because you think it's great, right? Like it's great, it's a great system. You end Mm -hmm. up putting too much stuff into it and therefore you make it too important and you've just moved the stuff. Still better than email, but it still just becomes a big bucket of responsibilities. Yeah, I definitely still have very conflicted feelings about Slack in a way that I didn't when I first started it. But the big difference there is like for... For my company's Slack and the Slacks of other companies that I'm involved with, they are fundamentally, they're still invitation-only systems. So unlike email, where 
anybody in the whole world can yep. be sending messages and like stuff can come in from all over the place. Sure, Slack is still kind of an overwhelming mess, but at least it has a clearly defined perimeter. It's like people you know you want to hear from before you've heard from them. Exactly. Yeah, that that's that's what's happening there. And it is also, uh, again, like a limited, a more limited section of people I have frequent work contact with as well. Uh, whereas as email is just it's just too expansive. And so, uh, yeah, as as you can see from my note there, I do have it set up on, on my phone. I have a special email account that just allows me to send messages out if for some reason I need to send a message from my phone. It's a Gmail account that I set up and all, all that Gmail account has is a single rule that all messages it receives, it forwards on to my real email account so I can deal with them at, at like a, right. on my desktop computer. But I can still send a message uh, from an email address that's like, Gray is just using his phone and won't actually be able to reply from this email address at gmail.com, right? Like that's the email yeah. address. And I'm assuming that there is a very limited amount of people that get email from that account just by the nature of it's the way it's set up. Right? Yeah, I, I use it more than you might think, but it's still not a lot. It's still not I mean, lot. I imagine you're using it a lot, but I can't imagine it is a very large group of people because yeah, yeah, you don't know if you don't see what's coming in, you don't know why you would need to contact someone. So it's just something that pops into your head, I would assume, most of the time. Yeah, what, what usually happens is exactly that. A thing that pops into my head that I want to tell a person who is not in one of the slacks that I manage. Right. Like that's that's usually the, yep. the use case yep. there. And so mm-hmm. it's like, OK, now I need to send an outgoing message to a person that I would not invite into the gray company slack because it doesn't make any sense because they're not actually involved in the company. But I still need to send them a message. So that's that's the way that works. And and like I said, what, I, what I'm trying to manage here is this idea that the phone is with me all the time. Yep. And so it is a kind of environment. And what I'm really trying to optimize for here is. The phone should be as minimally disruptive as possible. And uh, I have part of while I was on my uh, Gray Industries corporate retreat for one, and I was doing some of the pre-work for this. I really went through my phone again and just uninstalled absolutely everything I could think of that wasn't totally vital. Oh, interesting. I feel like uh, I feel like I want to see that. That's Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, maybe we'll get into that. We, we can. <laughs> I find it so interesting just how many apps are still on my phone. When this comes up with people, I find it interesting that it's like, if we do phone comparisons, I'm often like the weird, I'm like a weird Luddite with the way I use my phone where it seems like it's so limited. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, there's still something like a hundred apps on my phone. I, I, I just think it's an interesting... It's like an interesting commentary on modern life, how vital and important this piece of technology is. And that even what most people would regard as crazy bare minimal use is still still covers an incredible range of of possible activities. So I just I just find that a, like an, an interesting commentary on the modern world. The largest section of this diagram is contained within the glass cube. So I am naturally assuming that your out-of-home office is where you're spending the majority of your work time now. Okay, Mike. Let's get into this. Okay. Right. Uh, Glass Cube. One of the things that I decided to do as part of the year of order was I have recently upgraded my Glass Cube. So okay. I've gotten a, a bigger Glass Cube. That's, it's not, still... that's the way to fix it. 
It's a cube. It's still it's still a glass cube. Uh, it's still weird. It still feels somehow like I'm working at Facebook during the day, yep. except with glass barriers. Uh, it's very strange. But I got a bigger space because of a bunch of things that I thought I want to to do with this space. And I was trying to think very intentionally about like, okay, what am I going to do here? And what I have decided is that the the thing that makes the most sense is that the glass cube is is going to be it's going to be like a forge of creation that this is where the kind of work that I do in this space is going to be the creative work in in one way or another so there's a bunch of projects that relate to this but one of the main things that I've done is I have taken one of my older computers and I have turned it into a dedicated writing station. So the reason I got a bigger glass cube is because I wanted to fit not one, but two desks into the space. Because one of those desks is going to be, or I should say is, because it's already set up now, it is a standing desk that has a computer that is only used for writing. And I've set it up sort of like the same idea with the phone. Like I want to pare this down to the minimum number of things required. That writing computer is only going to have the three or four apps on it that I need to actually do the writing. Uh, and it's gone so far as like the account that I log in on that computer, it's not logged into iCloud. I w- I've set up things so that I can do everything through Dropbox or separate syncing services. So it's like that account has nothing on it really except Evernote and Ulysses as the two main programs that I need. It's like here's research notes that I have and then here's the main program that I use for writing. And so when I turn that thing on, it's like these are the only apps that are here. There's nothing else for you when you're standing at this desk. This is what you're going to do. End of story. So that's that's part one of the glass cube. What is that computer? That computer is a uh, 15-inch MacBook Pro that I've connected to some external monitors so that it, it's set up. Of course it is. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean, of course it is? No, it's fine. Well, did you think it was going to be an iPad? Is that what you were asking? Well, it was forever before. And I don't know, just like as a machine that is single purpose with just a couple of applications on that you can attach an external keyboard to. I don't know. Whatever, man. Whatever floats your boat. So I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you something. This is this is sort of gets to a little bit of the things that are later on, but one of the one of the like the meta themes of the year of order when I was trying to think about like setting up these physical spaces is it's kind of a funny thing that happened, but a, a little while ago I bought myself a new backpack. I was like, "Ooh, look at this. Look at this great backpack. This thing is fantastic." And my uh, backpack that I was using previously was a little run down and I thought, yeah, this needs a replacement. Let me get a new one. I need to save future Mike. Okay. Please tell me the name of the backpack. Oh, I don't know. You can't just say like, I got an amazing backpack and then not, and then like, you know, me, I'm just wondering, fielding the questions, right? Like what's the backpack? Is it linked to the backpack? I don't know. I need it's to see great. the backpack. Uh, it must have a name on it. It must, there must um, be a label. Something at, somewhere. Okay, I've got it. I've got it right here. Uh, doesn't look like there's a label. I mean, that's no, part of the reason is. I like it. There's got to be something. 
No, I don't think there is. Where did you get the backpack? I don't. I don't know. Why would I remember where I got it? Uh, well, did you buy it in a physical store? Like a, or did you buy it on? No, Amazon? I bought it online. It looks like there's a P. There's a PD oh, written on it. PD. Does that help you, Mike? No, it doesn't help me. Does, does it help if I say it's maybe the best backpack in the world? Uh, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it has a. There's like a great. You can hear it. There's like these fancy metal clasps. You can change the interior volume around. Fantastic. Whatever, you know. It's no, a it's not whatever. If you bought it on Amazon, you can get the information. No, I didn't buy it on Amazon. I bought it directly from the website. Well, then Sorry, you can, I... I mean, you can open your email app and just type backpack into the search field. I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you later, Mike. No, you won't, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. I just need this to be shown as testament to the fact that I tried. Uh, I'm searching backpack... Uh, I've got too many emails with the word backpack. In. Uh, I'll, I'll what get about the most recent one, though. <laughs> no, but you know, like Amazon is showing. Yeah, there's nothing. I type in backpack, and I've got like a hundred emails here, and I don't see anything that's obviously the receipt from the company. Do you think people will ask you, Gray, about Gray, the backpack? Gray, I was going through Ask Cortex questions today, yeah. and there was somebody asking about our backpacks based upon like episode three. Right, yeah. That's that's what I'm thinking of. Is, because is, at uh, that yeah. point, you didn't give the name of your backpack. So I am still getting those questions. So, uh, you know, I just, you know, I just need people to know that I tried to get the name. Oh, of I the found it. Oh, I found gosh. it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's on the, in- on the interior cover of the backpack. Uh-huh. It's by a company called Peak Design. That's, Peak what, it, Design. that's what it is. Okay. Peak so Design it's Backpack. Called it's called the everyday backpack okay uh i got it now. yeah i think that's that's the you, okay you good yeah this is really you good, good. <laughs> somehow i knew you were not gonna relax until i could no that. because I, I know my i know my future i know what my future is you know and it, <laughs> and it was just full of like your future is fielding these questions from yeah. people for forever <laughs> yeah now i got it it does look like a really nice bag actually Oh man, yeah, I just it's bought fan- a new bag. I don't need another one, but this looks like a really nice bag. It's it is a really great bag. I bought a Tom Bin Synapse backpack, by the way, just mm-hmm. so people don't ask what backpack I bought. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's um it looks like it is ostensibly designed for cameras. Uh, camera yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like camera professionals. And that is it's like when I bought my original backpack and I made that comment about how uh, I was looking into like what do runners use because I was trying to find the lightest backpack possible and I thought like oh runners will use super light backpacks and I found one I really liked it was the same thing with this I was trying to think about equipment and I was like surely there must be backpacks that like wedding photographers would use like what what is, what is the professional solution to this and that's how I stumbled upon this this bag yeah um, but so it is great however I I, I bring all of this up. Because it was an interesting thing to realize that I got this backpack and I have hardly used it in the past several months of having it. Because I realized it's like, wait a minute. I didn't I didn't buy this backpack for me. I bought this backpack for the me I used to be. Like I used to be the person who spent all day wandering around the city in different mobile locations and, and working very mobily. And like, I haven't been that guy in a long time. 
And I've recognized that some of my habits have changed where I'm just much more in a smaller number of more permanent locations. And so it, it was making me think very deliberately about my workspace. And so one of the reasons that I did go with a Mac for my writing station is I was thinking about like, I don't need to optimize this space for mobility. I don't need to optimize this space for the situation where I'm going to just grab that iPad on, on my way out the door and I'm going to use that one iPad as my writing iPad. Like I don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Instead, what I can do is if you accept that this station is never going to be mobile, you can optimize it in a different way. And so one of the things that I can do is that laptop is actually powering two of the external 4K monitors from LG. And I have them both in the vertical setup because one of the things that I really want to be able to do is see as much of the script as possible. And so rotating a monitor to be in the vertical position is a really big bonus. Like it allows me to see so much more of what I'm working on. And a lot of what I like about um, Ulysses allows you to like rearrange stuff. It makes a lot of this way, way easier. And it just comes down to the case of like, okay, even if I wanted to use an iPad, the biggest iPad they make is not as big as two 4K monitors. So I'm like, I'm just going to eat this and say, I'm building this space to be a permanent space. What is the ideal that I would want? And that's what I would want. Two okay. monitors, one for script, one for research and notes, and I can just have them next to each other, super big all the time and, and standing up. And then the other desk has an iMac Pro. That's where the iMac Pro lives. It lives on the second desk in the glass cube. And this is like heavy project stuff, including something called Project Golem, which is just a great name. It doesn't really matter what it's about, but the names are all good. Uh, and that's where you edit and produce stuff so yeah the second half of of the cube uh it's it's also like i'm trying to make spaces different so it's like the writing space is a standing up space because i always pace around anyway uh and then the imac pro is a sitting down space in the same cube and yeah what what i'm thinking of with this is again work that falls in some category of creative in a way so What I'm trying not to do there is administrative tasks of any kind. Uh, What I'm trying to do is, okay, so like the podcast editing, I would say, is a kind of creative space that also benefits greatly from having the iMac Pro. Like it makes that much easier. Uh, Doing the vlog editing is the same kind of thing. It's like this is creative work. It also benefits from having the much more powerful computer. Um, Because it's in the same physical location as the writing, I do like to separate out when am I doing research for a script versus when am I actually writing the script. I try not to do both of those things at the same time. So the iMac Pro is also for research. And then, yes, uh, I don't want to talk about what the details of it are, but I do have a new project this year uh, that's, that is s- sort of sort of thematically related to the year of order, uh, but I'm just going to call it Project Golem for right now, and we will say that it definitely requires a uh, fast, powerful computer uh, for Project Golem. So that is a thing that is underway that is Middle also West. creative mm-hmm. and is 
going to happen in this space? What you're, was that like? You're the worst. Why am I the worst? You just are. I d- <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to des- I'm trying to describe for you my thinking mm-hmm. process here about what's no, no, going on good. with these different spaces. Mm-hmm. It's very good. And then yeah. obviously the only you have an outlier, right, which is the podcast recording, because really that should live in the glass cube thematically, but from an audio sound space perspective, cannot be ever recorded in that space. Yeah, this is this is where there's a couple of conflicts. I actually, the podcast to me are such a different kind of work. They don't they don't feel creative in the same way. Like creative is not the best word for what I'm doing in the glass cube, but it's just the category that's in my mind. Um, whereas the podcasts are much more like, you know, they're like going out to a dinner with people, you know, where it's just intensely draining social work. It feels like a very different kind of thing. And so there are two good reasons to not have it be in the glass cube. It feels to me, one, like that work is just very different kind of work from everything else. And secondly, yes, a glass cube in the in the middle of like a Facebook style open office is an acoustically terrible environment. Um, but so one of the one of the other parts of like year of order is thinking a lot about what do I use my home office for? And I'm really aware that in the past year, my home office has become a kind of mess of ambiguity. Like, what what happens here? What sort of work is here? What is this space for? I've done a really bad job with that. And so what I'm in the process of doing is, again, deciding very intentionally, This is a if this is like a permanent space, how can you best optimize this space for the kinds of tasks that you want to do in here? And so, yes, I'm turning my home office into two things, but the primary one is an audio recording studio. So it's like, I will do all of the podcasts in my home office. And that also means finally doing something like I'm going to be upgrading some of the audio equipment that I use. Finally. You've been oh. uh, listeners, Mike has been bothering me about this for so long. Uh but but this is this is a great example though, again, of my current podcast recording setup. I mean, you know this. It's optimized for mobility and flexibility. That that's why I choose some of the equipment that I choose. Uh, like I use the the Rode USB NT microphone, which I totally love, and it is a a great super flexible microphone. But I'm I'm making this decision of okay, if you're starting over, and if this space is for this one task, and all of the equipment in here is never going to move, would you choose the equipment that you're currently using? And the answer is no. I would not choose this microphone under those circumstances. So. Uh, I feel like I have to have a conversation with our good friend Marco Arment about what to get because I I am very uh, out of my depth here. Oh, I know what but you yeah. should get. Like oh. I've already had that oh, yeah. conversation with him, so you're probably going to end up exactly with exactly what I have. <laughs> okay, great. Do you want to, you want to give me a preview? What do you use, Mike? No, it's too much. It's it's, it's too, too much. much. Okay. Yeah, I I will put a link in the show notes to Marco Arment's guide for podcast microphones, um, mm-hmm. because. What I use is not good to tell people to use because it kind of gets into that area of, you know, you end up with small gains for a large cost, right? Right, yeah. Because I've been doing this for eight years and I've built up over time. There's, it's pointless to start at where I am, but, I, I, you know, it's all included in that, in that guide, which you'll find in our show notes. 
But that's also part of the, um, the like intentionally thinking about the kind of work that I do and recognizing that optimizing for mobility is not sensible and that I am in the same category as you. Like, obviously, I don't do nearly as much audio work as you, but I do enough that optimizing for small gains is a sensible thing to do and is probably a thing I should have done a year ago. Yeah. But like now, now I'm just doing it now. And uh, the other thing that I'm going to be looking into uh, is acoustic treatments for the room. So like getting some of the, like the noise reduction uh, foam and other things uh, put into this office. Like this office is fine for that, but it's not great. And I know that I could make it better. Mm. And that that's again, the same kind of thing of like, does it make the audio 5% better? Maybe. Uh, but I'm going to spend time on that under this umbrella of the year of order. But right now, my main focus, my main focus has been setting up the glass cube and I've gotten the glass cube into what I think of as version 1.0 where it's minimally functional, but there's much more that I want to do. And I'm, I'm really aware of like when people try to change, it's very easy to try to change everything all at once. And then you do everything terribly. And I'm taking this like very limited, small focus. And so that's why I feel like right now I'm focusing on my, just my physical space. I'm not even trying to touch my routine or my health or any of these other things that I want to do. It's like, okay, just focus on the physical space. And then within that right now, I am just focusing on the glass cube as the main area. And so I'm going to get that absolutely the way I want it to be. It's like, and then I will turn my full attention to the home office. And what's going to happen is everything that's in the home office is is coming out. And then I'm going to just deliberately bring things back in or set up the new equipment. Uh, but so it's like, I'm trying to focus on the smallest possible piece uh, each at a time. But I, I can tell you, all of my glass office cube neighbors... Uh, they know who the who the weirdo on the floor is really fast. Uh, it's like I was, Why? What, what are you doing now? Two desks doesn't seem that weird. It does seem weird. It's two desks and it's one person. Uh, but it was also just I had a, just I had a lot of boxes mm. coming in mm-hmm. and coming in under short periods of time, and there there was a lot of activity going on. And there's just a few things that make me like the office weirdo that I don't quite want to go into details, but it's like, I can oh, see man. the people looking. They're like, that, that, guy's, that guy's the weird guy on the floor in that office. What's he doing? Eventually, you're going to have to build that building because you're going to be kicked out of every office space within the M25. I am aware that some of the stuff that I'm bringing into the, the, the glass cube, like maybe this is not the final resting home of all of this stuff, but I am mentally treating it as though I'm going to be there for a long time. Uh, even if when I do construct an office building of my own, it may, it may all be relocated. Let me tell you about FreshBooks, as they're one of the sponsors of this week's episode. FreshBooks is an incredible tool for anybody that sends invoices. Freelancers, I know that we all want to save more time. If you bill anybody, it can be really, really time intensive. So you want to make sure that you're saving as much as possible. And that's what FreshBooks can offer you. They have tested this and found out that people using their system save up to 192 hours because their cloud accounting software is so easy to use. They simplify tasks like invoicing, expense tracking, and maybe most importantly, getting paid online. And this is why they have drastically reduced time for their customers. Let me tell you about why it's quicker 
to get paid when you invoice for FreshBooks. For one, it's so simple to get the invoices set up. All of your frequently used items are saved in there so you can fill everything really quickly. You can just select your clients, select what you're billing them for, job done, send it off, and you can set all of your standard payment terms and all of your payment methods can all be set right up so they're ready to roll. Then once you've sent the invoice out, FreshBooks keep track of it for you. So they'll know when it's opened, They'll know when it's been printed. They'll know when it's been opened again because it's finally going to get put through the billing cycle. And if you don't want to be chasing anybody down, FreshBooks can send payment reminders to your clients for you. There are no more emails asking if somebody's received an invoice because you can just see it. And you don't even need to tell them, hey, have you, can you get this paid for us? Because FreshBooks will just do it automatically for you if that's something that you want. If you ever send invoices to anybody and you're not yet using FreshBooks, trust me, you should be trying it out. Because FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash Cortex. And when they say, how did you hear about us? Tell them that you heard about them from this show. I cannot recommend this product enough. I use it every single week and have done for three and a half years. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show. Anyway, so th those are like the two main things. With the computer that I'm going to be using in, in my home office, again, I'm going to deliberately strip everything off of there that is not required for recording a podcast. So I'm going to have a machine that the only thing it does is I turn it on and I record podcasts on it. And then I save those files and they get synced to the cloud and that machine is used for literally nothing else because if there is one thing i have learned over the years of podcasting it's that audio recording is surprisingly fiddly and stuff just somehow changes even when you're doing other things on the machine yep. it's incredibly frustrating so it's like i'm gonna have a machine that is untouched except for this one purpose and and that is going to be in my home office and all other software that is not necessary on that machine is going to be removed. Yep. And it's again, it's the same thing with like the iMac Pro in the glass cube. It's, it's very deliberate removal of all software that is not necessary for the vlog or for editing or for Project Golem. Like everything is coming off that is not required for those things. I really like how you refer to the vlog when you've done one. Well, maybe we can get back to this a little bit later, but yeah. uh, we, we can say that I'll just say now that on my wheel of wheel of uh, recorded time for last year, vlog stuff was a surprisingly big chunk of that time. So in, for me, it is still a very active project, even though I know to outsiders, no it seems like it's yeah. crazy, right? Like nothing has happened. <laughs> so that's that still seems very active. I have a very small update for the year of adulting. One of my two the themes um, mm -hmm. I, I'm now 30, so I've completed task one, which was to have my birthday, and I've done that. You've made it. Yep. Happy birthday. That, so that's that's point one. Thank you very much. And I'm adding something in to the year. Mm -hmm. um, I do not have a driving license. Uh, I live in a big city, so there are two things to this. I tried to learn to drive when I was like 17, and I would spend... 45 minutes once a week stuck in traffic, which is not the best way to learn how to drive. And then mm -hmm. also I have, I am afforded with fantastic travel in this city. The public transport is wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. But to 
think about some things that I want to do in my work and personal life over the next few years, uh, a car would be a great addition to that and would help facilitate a bunch of things. So Mm -hmm. I am planning to get a driving license by the end of the year. Like after we get married some point towards the end of the year, um, I'm going to take one of those like intensive courses things and get a driving license and get a little car uh, that I intend to bump into some stuff and uh, then I'm going to have a car and a driving license. So that's part of my other thing for my year of uh, adulting. That's very exciting. I I have a friend who uh, she just went through that where uh, she's never, never drove uh, and, and as an adult got her driver's license, you know, and when you live in a city, your whole life, it's just, you know, it's just like, it's just like people who live in Manhattan, right? There's no real need or, or pressure to get a driver's license yep. uh, because public transport is fantastic and du- doubly so in the world of ride sharing services. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it, it makes it even, even less necessary. Um, but that'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting and exciting project for you, Mike. Yep. Cause like one of the things that I want to do is eventually probably within the next couple of years, I want to get an office space outside of my home hmm. and, uh, where, where I am, like in the kind of the area that I'm in, I don't know where there would be any office spaces, but I reckon that they would probably be like a 10-minute drive from home. Right. And it would just be easier if I have my own car to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Then, then because I, I want to limit... I can, I can easily imagine that as, as the situation for where you are. Yeah. That if, if you are going to have an office, almost certainly it's going to be way easier to drive to that office. Because the other thing is like there are some places close to me where I could get a space, but they're not going to be ideal. And mm-hmm. I open myself up to m- many more opportunities if I have a car mm-hmm. because I can then, you know, the, the catchment area for my studio space can grow significantly if my mobility is increased. So mm. that's kind of why that's one of the things that I'm thinking of. So this is like, that, that is like a multi-year project, which doesn't need to start. But before I can do it, um, I need to get I need to get a driving license and get a car. Yeah, and the year of adulting seems like the perfect year to have that as a target. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a car parking space in our building that we own. It just came mm-hmm. with our apartment. And it's in like an underground car park type situation. And I have no idea what the feasibility would be to try and convince the owners of the building to put a plug socket in there for me. But I'm thinking it because like I've never owned a car. Why don't I just get an electric car, right? And just never yeah. own a petrol car. But it- if if you're going to do that, I, like I would highly recommend making that technological leap. My, my my plan is to try and see if we can convince someone to allow us to get that put in because I just feel like if I'm going to be buying a car in 2018, why even bother with petrol? Yeah, I I would agree with you 100. Yeah. percent So I mean, I'm not. We would, you know, there's like a pretty decent secondhand market for like Nissan Leafs and stuff like that, right? Mm. That we would probably get something like that. But, you know, I have my mind that maybe in five years I buy a Tesla or or something, you know, like when I can actually buy a real car because I'm not just going to bump it into everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just figure why, if if it's possible for me to just go straight to electric, because that's clearly the future, why don't I just start with electric? So that's like another long I'm sure a very arduous project that mm-hmm. I think that Adina would probably take great enjoyment out of trying to win. I think that's mm-hmm. something that she would enjoy greatly as like 
a, a project for her to try and convince the building owners to allow us to put a plug in the car park. We'll see how that one goes. When you get your license, you know you you're legally required to go on at least one road trip. So just yeah. just FYI. Oh yeah, yeah. This like is like a whole big thing. Like we were talking about it yesterday. It's like, oh, we can go on down to the coast, and it's like, yep. Think of all the places we can go. We never go anywhere, but think of all the places we can go. Well, I wish you luck with that. <laughs> yeah, there's some time on that one. But it, it did it occur to me that that fits quite nicely in with the theme. So, Mike, speaking of people who don't upload vlogs, I haven't seen you upload a vlog in a very long time. H- how's that going? I've come to a decision about my vlogging experiment, which I'm now calling an experiment in retrospect. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember this word before. <laughs> I'm sure I said it at some point. All right, so, okay. We're retconning this. No, I'm not retconning it. One of the things okay. that I did last year was, um, in in essence, I guess, was a, uh introduction to what it would be like to have a year of branching out, was to try something new and create a YouTube channel and create vlog content for it. That was the plan, and I wanted to see what it would be like to start a vlog and what that would take. And I've come to some conclusions uh about how i feel about being a vlogger mm-hmm. i think that it is very clear that to get good and to get popular requires frequent uploading right like i think that that is in vlogging that seems to be something which helps success is to upload frequently whatever that ends up being like i was going to say what does what does that mean there's a big spectrum here i don't know I, I think at least at least once a week or a couple of times a week it would seem right at least from the people that i follow that are primarily doing lifestyleish vlogging type stuff there is frequent right. uploading to that mm-hmm. um and i have a couple of issues that have precluded me from being able to do that um hmm. one is the amount of time that I actually have to put into another creative project. And really, I don't have it. I don't have the time in my life to create two YouTube videos a week, or one a week, even. It's just not a thing that I can do. Well, if I remember, your original goal was one a month, wasn't it? Wasn't that sort of roughly what you were aiming for? It was. Okay, so you're saying this is the combination of if this thing is going to be successful, it probably needs to be at least once a week. Yes. And that that energy is just beyond the amount that you have to spend in a week. Yep. Especially with the the upcoming big project. Exactly. But the thing is, one of the problems that I had was... One of the problems that I had with doing stuff on a more frequent basis is not even just time... It is content. Like, what do I make, right? Well, Mike, the the viewers, they wanted to see what a normal day in Mike's life is like. No That's one wants what people to see want that. to see. You think you want to see it, but like I'm telling you, you don't. It's so boring. Yeah, everybody thinks they want to see it, but it's actually super boring. You would hate and, it. Just trust me. Yeah. Like, you would hate it. How, how would you describe what a normal day actually looks like for you, Mike? Sitting down. <laughs> sitting down in front of a computer what are you doing clicking all of the stuff that anybody wants to see is just different places that i sit down right right like, how many of those places even are there two three yeah <laughs> exactly right <laughs> uh, but th- the thing is is i don't have enough to give 
from a content perspective because I make so much already. So all mm -hmm. of the things I have to say, I've already said them. Right? Like, so I was thinking something that I see from the vloggers that, that I like is um, about half of the content, at least, that they make tends to be them talking to the camera about a thing. Yeah. In a, in a broad way, a lot of it could be classified as opinion pieces. Yeah. But I have no extra opinions than the <laughs> ones that I give on all of the shows that I make. Right. So that, that became apparent to me really quickly that I burned through my topic ideas within like three months. Mm -hmm. They were just all gone. And typically with a creative project that I have, that is not the case. Um, that, that I will hang on to topics for a long time because the in initial list that I create hasn't foreseen all of the other things that might come to me, mm -hmm. but they didn't. N mm -hmm. Nothing really came to me. And the other big thing is that I realized that I would lose too much of my private life if I decided that I wanted to do this more frequently. Because if I don't have topics to sit in front of the camera to talk about, all I can do is show more of my life. Right. And I decided that I'm comfortable with the amount that I already show and that the things that I don't talk about and the things that people don't know about is for a reason. Mm -hmm. And if I vlog more, I would lose all of it. Far too frequently, something that I see with the vloggers that I like to watch is that you see in their videos, they spend time with colleagues and friends who are also vloggers. Right. And you see these scenes where it's like five people each talking into a camera. And I, I don't, I don't want to put my friends and family in those types of situations because my friends and family don't do this. And yeah. I don't want to subject everything about my life and all of the people in it to the world. Like podcasting, what I do right now, it's fixed. Like I'm in my studio and I talk about what I want to talk about. Vlogging shows more of everything in a direct way, like people and places and like bad hair days. Like you, you see everything. Yeah, there's a world of difference between you, you know, talking about Adina on a podcast and you filming Adina to put in your vlog. Mm -hmm. There's a way that that turns it into, oh, I'm not just relaying a thing where the original person is not involved when uh yeah how to, how to put it but like when vloggers are filming their family they are pretty explicitly requesting a performance of their family exactly like, yeah like that that is what is happening and it's the same thing that happens uh if you're friends with someone who is vlogging they are even if you're just sort of in the background, now there's like an implicit request that you do a performance for them. I really notice, have noticed it when I've vlogged trips that I've taken um, that people are very aware. Like if I'm doing anything with my phone, they, mm -hmm. they think that I'm filming. <laughs> and like mm -hmm. people make these like jokey comments, but they're really just checking. 
when we were in WWDC, I saw a bunch of this, and yeah. I was I was aware of that with you, where people were making comments to you, where they're like, "Oh, are oh, you vlogging this?" Right? Like, ha ha ha. But am I on camera? Am I yeah. on camera right yeah. now? Yeah, that, that's that's what they want to know. I am very excited to tell you about Fracture, as they are another sponsor of this week's show. Fracture is the company that takes your favorite images and will print them for you directly onto glass for you to display in your home. These are wonderful for yourself, but they're also wonderful for gifts. And hey, psst, just a reminder, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Fracture makes a great gift for that person in your life. Fractures are all made by hand in Gainesville, Florida from US source materials. They feature sleek, frameless designs that will go beautifully with any decor. Because you don't have to worry about, oh, does this frame color match the other? No, you don't have to worry about if it matches anything in your house because there is no frame. It's just a beautiful piece of glass with your image on it. Ordering is so simple. Fractures come ready to display straight out of the box. They even include a wall hanger. It's fuss-free. I tell you how fuss-free it is. I ordered a couple of fractures. I did it all on my phone. I just uploaded the image from my camera roll all on my iPhone and they sent them to me. Fracture is a green company operating a carbon-neutral factory, which is awesome, and they lovingly refer to their factory as the Fractory, which is a pun that I am so happy to hear. Now, let me tell you what I love about Fractures. So I ordered a few recently. I was able to get these beautiful images printed directly onto glass, which looks so fancy, and just put them on my wall. And what I've decided I'm going to do, because it's so simple, I can just upload it straight from my phone, that now, whenever a big moment happens in my life, in my working life or in my personal life, I just order a fracture. So I have a couple sitting right here. I'm looking at them right now. Um, and they're pictures of a live show that we did a couple of years ago in San Francisco. It was really, really fun. And it was a big moment for us and me and my professional life. So I decided to get some fractures printed. And now they sit there above my computer and I'm going to make a little fracture wall right there of some big moments. They're really, really awesome. They're a great addition to any home. They make amazing gifts. It is time to rescue those photos hidden away on your devices. Get them put on a beautiful piece of glass and put them on the wall. Head to FractureMe.com right now to get started and see how sleek fractures look. And when you use the code Cortex, you'll get 15% off your order. That is FractureMe.com. Go to your browser right now and use the code Cortex at checkout and you'll get 15% off. Don't forget to pick Cortex in their one-question survey as well when they ask you how you heard about them as it will also help support this show. We'd like to thank Fracture for their support of this show and Relay FM. Basically, I've just come to realize that the life that I have right now doesn't fit this. If I want to do this, I have to make changes to my life and... I've come to kind of come to the conclusion that I don't want to be a vlogger. Like I've just come to, I don't want to pursue it to try and become this thing because mm-hmm. I think I might lose too much of what I currently have. And like, it would disrupt everything in a way that I'm maybe not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to never do them because there are vlogs that I know I will be able to make about travel where it's mostly just me mm-hmm. and I still want to make those because I actually really enjoy that but I have no intention of continuing to make this a serious thing like there, there are other types of technology based videos that I want to do um, and I still will want to make those uh, I want to do more game streaming as a thing because I like doing that it's relatively low amount of input for the output 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, as, as far as vlogging goes, I'm not I'm not a vlogger, and I'm not going to be one. Yeah, I mean there is there is a way in which, uh, from my limited experience with it, but also just from uh, knowing and and seeing people who are really in that industry, that. How how can I put this in a nice way? But I think for people who are vlogging constantly, it is like strip mining their life where everything they're doing is seen through the lens of how this can be presented to the outside world. And uh, I think there is a, a long tradition of people who are vloggers on YouTube who do very frequent multi multi times a week content who you can just see them burnout uh and so there is no shortage of videos on youtube where a vlogger who has been very prolific says hey i need to step away from this for a while because it's just emptied out my entire life well there's there's actually two ways you have a burnout or you flame out right it's either you've you've had enough or you push it too far and there's a equal amount of videos of people doing something for the vlog Mm -hmm. which was too much Right, yeah. and and I have no desire to go in either of those journeys in my life. Yeah, well, and there's also the thing that I th- I think people, you know, if anybody out there is like, like, oh, I want to be a vlogger. Right? Well, there's also this thing that you just probably don't think about very much. But there's a question of how many, how much. Hmm, I never quite know how to phrase this, but it's like, um, you know, it's like your life is a garden, and things in the garden grow slowly, and vlogging is like you're trying to harvest flowers out of the garden every single day mm-hmm. and it's like well that just can't happen there's a there's a question of like what is the frequency of which you can pull flowers out of this garden but they don't make flowers every day flowers take a while and you know I, like we discussed last time i went through my own little version of this and that was part of what the year of redirection was it was just recognizing like i'm i'm doing podcasts that are largely about my life in some ways as like the frequency is just a little too high that it feels like I'm coming back to this garden to pull flowers too often. So I need to pull it back just a little bit. And when people are doing daily vlogs, it's like you are ripping all of the flowers out of this garden. And I think it's why when I think it's why there there's two things that happen very frequently with the vlogs is that they become or people who do successful vlogs have a disproportionate amount of travel in their life because travel is a way of like getting flowers out of another garden. Like you're going somewhere, you're doing something. And then, um, especially lately, what has been a trend on, on YouTube, I think is manufactured stunts for the vlogs. So you, you're now you're not really vlogging your daily life. It's much more like, you're putting together a TV show. Oh, you have to. Yeah, and so now you're artificially constructing things. Nobody's life is interesting enough. Like, yeah. you have to create situations. And that was something that I realized quickly. Like, mm-hmm. I started vlogging at a time in my life that was very interesting. Yeah, we we discussed it, that you were very aware that there was a bunch of stuff going on in your life at that time. And so if you were going to try this project... That was the fertile time to do it. Yep. And it worked for me. But then I realized, oh, but now it's normal daily life. 
and every couple of months, every six to eight weeks, I'm going somewhere interesting and they're cool. But what mm -hmm. about all the other times? And that was what right. I was struggling with. Once I moved into my house and built my office and did all of that stuff, the really exciting time in my life was done. Mm -hmm. And I'm moving into an exciting time now, which is getting married, but I have absolutely no desire to film any of that process. Yeah, and that's that's again the, the 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 conflict of being like a private person who lives in public in a way is do you want to strip mine your marriage? And this was one of the big reasons for me where I realized that maybe this wasn't for me because so it was like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be a vlogger, man, I have a wedding. Like, how great a, a video type thing is that, right? To mm -hmm. show your wedding to people, but I realized mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, and there's there's also a way in which. Uh, Obviously, I'm not really like a vlogger vlogger, but my most direct comparison to this of, of a thing where you realize something is, is changing the way you think is, I mean, now, now this is several years ago when I decided to take Twitter off of my phone, but I realized it cleared up all of this mental space where there was some part of my brain that was constantly thinking, oh, is this a funny thing to tweet? This, this thought that just came into my brain, is this a funny thing? Or I'm at some place and I'm like, oh, is there a picture I could, I could put on Twitter at this place that I am? And by removing Twitter from my phone, it just took that away. And then I'm just not thinking about that anymore. Um, but again, it's like, if you are going to be a successful vlogger, you start thinking about everything in your life in those terms of, is this for the vlog? Yeah. Right. Is this for the vlog? And I feel like I need to make this super clear. Like, this conversation is not based around the fact that, oh, if I decided to do this, I would become a megastar. Like, that's not what I'm thinking here. Like, when we talk about being successful, it mm. is me trying to attempt to get to a place where I might be in that position. Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe that if I made a video every week for six months that I would be, like, the next Casey Neistat. But, right, because there's many people who make videos every week exactly. who are not Casey But Neistat. I can't that's be that unless I put the work in. I could never get to anywhere unless I put the work in. And I've just decided that I don't want to put the work in to even try and attempt to become someone who would be considered a part of the vlogger in their life, as part of their work. Yeah, no, the conversation here is not that you would be inevitably successful. Uh, there's, there's a lesson here for everyone who might want to be a vlogger, which is that you can strip mine your life for the public and still be unsuccessful as well. And you get nothing, right? So that, that, that was part of it. It was like, I give up everything yeah. and maybe get nothing back. And it's yeah. like, do I really want to take that risk? And then one of the other big things for me, which is a lesson that I would want to impart to anyone, I was dreading the creation. Mm, that's a bad sign. That's a really bad sign. Exactly. So I would be like, I'd have my task come up to be like, okay, you've got to start working on a vlog like you're approaching the end of the month. And I'd be like, oh, but I don't want to do it. For a project that's supposed to be a fun side project, that's yep. terrible. That's and a bad I, idea. That's bad. Nothing else that I do, do I feel that way. And if I ever start to feel that way with anything, one of two things happens. I either change significantly the project mm -hmm. or kill it. And mm -hmm. I've always worked that way. And I decided, And when I came to the realization that I was not enjoying thinking about necessarily being forced to make a video, that was when I deleted the task, right? And that mm -hmm. happened in the summer. Mm -hmm. So the recurring task of create a vlog went away. So then you will notice my frequency went down because then I only just started making vlogs about what I wanted to make vlogs about. And then mm -hmm. one of the bigger ones was when I was away for four weeks over the summer, I recorded a bunch of vlog footage to create a huge vlog out of. And I got home 
and I had so much footage, I didn't know what to do with it. And then that was when I kind of decided that uh, this probably isn't a thing for me. I mean, it's been an interesting experiment. Personally, I'm kind of sad that you're not going to be vlogging frequently. Like, obviously, the writing was on the wall a little bit with this mm-hmm. as as the frequency dropped. Uh, I did really enjoy your vlogs. But I do, I do think that you have still come out of this with you learned how to do a new thing. And you have also established the existence of the Mike Hurley YouTube channel. It is there whenever I want to do something with it. Yeah. It's no longer the case of if you wanted to upload a YouTube video, you'd be starting from ground zero. You now have some inbuilt audience over there. And it's like, if if you feel like there is a video that you want to make, that you feel compelled to make, you have a place to put it, and it has a place to start on YouTube with with some pre-existing audience that is already there. I have ideas for standalone videos that I will make in the future, but it's just Mm -hmm. nothing that I want to necessarily start on right now. And every now and then I get something that pops into my head where I'm like, that might be a fun thing to make a video about. And so it like just Mm -hmm. gets locked away and I'll talk about it later. One of the, I mean, and this maybe sounds kind of sounds weird, but I'm happy that I have put as much time into talking about this on this show as I have, mm-hmm. because I, I I follow a lot of people that are successful and talk about their successes and the things that they do and the things that they don't. This has clearly been a failure in what I attempted to start with, like from where mm-hmm. I am when I was talking about this, doing this project to where I am now. Like, mm-hmm. I have failed to achieve what I was hoping to achieve from this, and it was because my feelings towards it changed. So I'm happy to share that as a thing to say, like, this is something that happens to everyone. You start mm-hmm. a project, and it just doesn't go the way that you want, and that is totally fine for you to then just move away from it. And I feel I actually feel better having moved away. Because a lot of the time it's like, oh, but... I started this thing and if it doesn't work out and I stop doing it, like how does that look? Like I look like I kind of failed or like I look like I I couldn't do it. But I feel mm-hmm. better being comfortable in saying that it's done. Like I'm not mm-hmm. going to attempt to try and push this further than it needs to go because otherwise I'm just going to hate it. And I don't hate it and it means that I can still come back to making some videos when I want to, but I didn't suck everything out of it. And I'm kind of happy to share that. Yeah, and, and killing projects is a vital skill. Oh, God, if I mean, you can't do it, then you you can never do anything, right? Because you're, yeah. you're just dragging along these old yeah. projects behind you all the time. When I look at my younger self, I think a skill that he was not so great at was killing projects and... Uh, yeah, it's like that. That's one thing. If I was if I was to go back in time and try to advise my younger self about like how to how to get what he wants out of the world faster, uh, w- one of the things would definitely be, "Hey, buddy, let's go through your list of things and let's decide that some of these are over sooner." Like, let's let's do that because it frees up your energy and time for other things. Yep. And like for me, talking about it here, nothing has changed because I am. L- I'm making the same amount of videos as I've been making the last few months, which is none. Mm-hmm. But now I am addressing it, mm-hmm. right? Like nothing's nothing's different. Like I'm not making more or less videos, but I am now addressing the fact that don't expect them, and mm-hmm. kind of I feel I feel relief in that. It's just like well, now nobody's expecting the vlogs because I told you never to expect the vlogs. Expect right. that there will be YouTube videos sometime in the future, 
but don't expect them to come anytime soon and or to be anything that you expect them to be. <laughs> the Mike Hurley channel is just going to be your your channel of what you want it to be. Whatever that ends up being. I don't Whatever know what that ends be. up being. Yeah. <laughs> so you can take up the mantle now. You can be the vlogger. Yeah, I, n- I never put it down, Mike. <laughs> if I could give past me some advice uh, that would have saved him some time, which is related to what you were talking about, it would certainly be, hey, shoot less footage. Oh, that <laughs> would kill you. <laughs> shoot Woo! way less that footage. That would kill you. When you sit down in front of Final Cut and you've got four weeks worth of vlog footage, like, that will kill a vlog. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of the many reasons there's been delays was like boy don't don't capture everything you'll regret it so next episode we're gonna do something we've never done before we're gonna watch a documentary Mm -hmm. uh, and talk about it in kind of the vein of cortex book club so it's kind of a book club but a documentary it's like a like a documentary club for work Sure, that's the working title. We'll go with that one. Uh, the Cortex Documentary Club for Work. There is a documentary about the team behind South Park called Six Days to Air. Uh, this documentary I've seen a couple of times, and I thought it would be interesting to bring to the table because these are people who create an episode of a TV show within six days every week. So they create a weekly show, and every episode is created within six days. And it is interesting to watch a team work under this incredible deadline pressure that I thought it could be interesting to talk about on the show. Now, it is worth noting at this point, this is a documentary about the TV show South Park. So it includes clips of South Park episodes and lots of South Park humor, which can be very questionable and uh, (laughs) awkward in some places. So, <laughs> so I say, no, no, Mike. The word, it's not that the humor is questionable. There's no question that it can be quite vulgar. There you go. That's a lovely way of putting it. Yes, it is tasteless and <laughs> it's vulgar. Not, it's not like, and, not like, hmm, is yeah. this funny or not? Like, that's not the question. <laughs> yes, yeah. The question is more: Will you want to see it? So you probably mm. know at this point if this is something you want to watch. Like, if you don't know South Park, I recommend not watching it. If you know you don't like South Park, I recommend not watching it. We're going to take a look at how the team works and just talk about that. We're not going to talk about the content too much because it's not important for the overall discussion. Yeah, this is this is just a thing that has been on our list for a long time. Mm-hmm. When you first mentioned it, and I have wanted to see this for quite a while because I think the, the two guys behind South Park are uniquely prolific and they also, uh, from what I have, have gleamed, they work in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And they have also had careers over uh, now a fantastically long period of time. Yeah. So I think that like that they are at the intersection of a bunch of things that I'm interested to see a documentary ab- about how they're working so ever since you mentioned to me that this thing existed i have wanted to to see it but but yeah so just to be clear like our interest in seeing this is how do they work it's not really a conversation about like what do we think about south park because i think people already know what they think about south park yeah you either like it or you don't like it and there are probably extremely good reasons for both depending on your opinions uh i will say that i 
don't really like South Park uh, and kind of <laughs> never have. Uh, it mm-hmm. isn't something that I have been that interested in. But the documentary is very good. We are going to talk about it like we talk about the books. So you don't have to watch this to yeah. understand what we're going to talk about. So you don't need to watch it. I want to tell people that we are watching it in case you do want to watch it. But this comes with all of the warnings we could possibly give uh, for such a explicit documentary because it's got South Park in it. So there you go. That's that's what we have to say. Six Days to Air is what it's called. And we'll talk about it next time. See you next time.